0: God bless you. It's so good to be back again with you today. Thanks so much for coming. We realize it's not always possible to travel to a service somewhere and to fellowship with the other people there, so we bring that service to you, as you know, wherever you are. We hope you'll be encouraged today as you discover God's peace and His promises, wonderful promises, for your life. Would you open in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 9? That's where we're going to be today. as you know already, we're going to show those verses up here in the video for you, just to make it easier for you to follow along. Now today we're, of course, continuing in our beginnings series in the book of beginnings. I'll say a better sheet, the book of Genesis, the book of beginnings. And today I'd like to talk to you about who God uses. We're always looking at the people in the Bible, and we hold them in very high esteem. We think of their lives and we say, it must have been amazing to be used by God the way that those people are. But if you look a little closer, you find out that that person is not so different than who you are. They're a normal person and sometimes, in fact, all the time, they've got problems in their own lives. They've got mistakes. There's times when they sinned. There's times when they repented. And there's times when God just had them just doing amazing things. We always tend to focus on the amazing things that God did with them without thinking about the problems that they had, without thinking about the thoughts that they had, wondering from time to time, God, are you still with me? Well, that's the way that they were too. And what I'm saying is God uses just normal, everyday people. Well, that's the way it was with Noah as we're talking about this flood. And you say, well, he was a really special person. He's, he and his family were the only ones that survived the flood. And yes, that is true. But Noah himself made mistakes. And Noah wasn't perfect. None is good except for God. That's what Jesus said in the New Testament. And of course, that's true. So where does that lead the rest of us? If none is good except for God, that says that we're not good. Well, we try and the best thing you could do is when you come to the Lord is give that life over to God. Commit your way to Him and let Him direct your steps. Commit the keeping of your soul as it says in the scripture in the New Testament. Commit the keeping of your soul unto Him who is able to take care of you. Keep the keeping of your soul and well-doing unto Him because He's a faithful creator. And if you give it over to Him, you're not relying on your own strength and your own wisdom, then that's the kind of person that God can use. He's not gonna let you get the credit for it or the glory for it. All the glory, all the power, all the wisdom, all the might, and all all the righteousness is from Him. You are simply allowing Him to use you. Out of all the abilities you can bring to God, the only one He's really interested in, as we've said before, is availability. Are you available for God to use? Noah was available for God to use. Now let's go and continue our journey through Genesis, looking at chapter 9 today. It says in chapter 9 in verse 1, So God blessed Noah and his sons and said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth. And the fear of you and the dread of you shall be on every beast of the earth, on every bird of the air. On all that move on the earth and on all the fish of the sea, they are given into your hand. Everything that moves will be food for you. Every moving thing that lives shall be food for you, he says in verse 3. I've given you all three, all things, even as the green herbs. Just like I gave you the green herbs before, I'm giving you all things to eat, even the living creatures as well. Then verse 4, he says, but you shall not eat flesh with its life, that is, its blood. Now, let's stop there and let's just talk about that for a little bit. The first thing he says, of course, is be fruitful and multiply. Well, here we are in Genesis chapter 9, and the world has been destroyed. Noah and the other seven people in the ark with him. Noah, his wife, his three sons, and their wives are all that's left of human civilization. And now God is starting all over. So just like he told Adam and Eve when he created them and placed them in the garden, God says to Noah now, be fruitful and multiply. Now the world that Noah entered after he got out of the ark was significantly different from the world that he knew before. How do I know that? Well, you think about it. The water was so deep so powerful, it exceeded even the height of the tallest mountains and hills. It covered everything and everything that was based on the ground, even the birds that flew through the air that had to land on the ground to get food every once in a while or, or had to land to rest from their flying. All of the living creatures perished. Everything that breathed perished. Everything that, in whom was the breath of life perished. God had destroyed it all. That much water, that deep of water covering the whole planet, would have had tremendous force of currents. Different sections of it had heated up because the shell that used to protect the earth, a shell of ice and moisture above the firmament, above the skies that God said in Genesis 1, remember, he separated the waters below the firmament from the waters above the firmament, and that water that he put in above the firmament that was in space surrounding the earth in what we would say a near-earth orbit. But it wasn't orbited, it was a shell, a concentric sphere of shell of ice that existed there and in the absolute zero nature of space, of course, it froze. So that ice was a shell surrounding the earth and that's what protected humankind from the UV radiation from the gamma radiation, other types of harmful uh, radiation that came from the sun. And that's one of the reasons why man could live to be as long as they did in the early part of the first few books, the first few chapters of Genesis, 800, 900 years. We're going to read about that today in the end of chapter 9. Even Noah, having been born and lived most of his life before the flood, you're going to find out he lives about 950 years. So God is telling Noah now, just like he told Adam and Eve, the world is different now. It's different, go out of the ark, be fruitful and multiply, replenish the earth. He gave Adam that same command in Genesis 1:28, And now with Noah, he's essentially beginning again. But there's something different in this time, in God's beginning this time, than it was before. Before, as much as we can tell in the book of Genesis, Adam and Eve were only given the fruits and the herbs of the garden to eat. All of those things is what they ate, and animals ate different parts of that. But now God is telling Noah that he's able to eat every moving thing that lives, and that every moving thing that lives shall be food for him. So even as Adam received instructions about what to eat and what not to eat, now Noah is receiving the same kinds of instructions. And God has expanded it now to not only herbs that he can eat from a garden and things that are planted like that, but even moving animals, living animals, he can kill and eat. But there's one thing that he was forbidden to, of course, eat and partake of, and that was the blood of the living animal because God said in that blood is the life. Now, it may have been that after such a catastrophic flood with huge currents that were able to carve river valleys instantly because of the pressure of the water and the great depth of the water and the the difference in the temperature zones now, because the ice shell was no longer there, it melted and fallen to the earth, and that was why the 40 days of rain, 40 nights of rain had occurred, then the fountains of the deep had broken up, it was a violent violent flood of water. Even today when floods hit towns because a dam breaks in a lake or something, a large lake, and there comes to be a 10 or a 20-foot wave of water and it just tears everything in that town up. Everything is destroyed and just wiped clean from the dirt and everything. The topology has changed. Riverbeds, creeks, everything has changed. Trees are uprooted just like they're just tiny pieces of dirt. Well, in the same way, maybe the earth was changed at this point in time after the flood to where you couldn't really have an agricultural farm like you could before the flood. The ecological changes were severe. So God gave man permission to eat meat. And he also says, now the fear of you and the dread of you will be on every beast of the earth. Well, if man ate animals, then God would be helping the animals... By putting the fear of man in the animal. So they would run from man when they saw him. Instead of come to him and let him pet them. They would understand that man is now a predator of those animals. And for their protection, God put in those animals, every living thing, a fear of mankind. It's always been interesting to me to see a a big tiger or an elephant or some other type of huge animal that when he sees man coming, they just kind of like run and hide and just and stand and look from a distance and everything. Now, sometimes they do attack man, but that's rare. And even poisonous snakes, when they see man, the only time that they ever bite a man, every time they bite a person, that's because they had no way of getting away. But for the most part, they try to stay away from man. Coyotes, wolves, when they see man, they try to run from them. Bears, when they see man, they try to keep away from them. Now, there's times when man will surprise an animal, and that animal will uh, be fearful and attack the man, but for the most part, the fear of mankind is in all of the creatures today. And Now, presumably before the flood, we didn't see that kind of relationship. Remember, all of those animals were in the garden with Adam and Eve, and Adam even named all those animals, and there was a different relationship that man had with the animals in those days. God didn't put his fear in the animals then because man did not look to the animals as food. He, did, he didn't look to that cow over there and says, I'm hungry for a hamburger. You know, he didn't do that. He didn't look at that chicken and say, how about a chicken sandwich today? They weren't a threat to the animals. So the animals didn't have a fear in them at that time. But now after the flood... Everything's changed, and God then said in these verses that we just read, but you shall not eat flesh with its life, that is the blood. This is very important. God also commanded Noah that if the animals were to be eaten, that there must be a proper respect for the blood, a proper respect that shows the blood is something special, that the blood contains the life of the animal. That's what it says in Leviticus 17 and also in Deuteronomy 12. The importance of the idea of the blood is shown in the Bible by how many times that word blood is used. It's used 424 times in 357 separate verses in the King James Bible. Now, Blood was a sign in different things for in the Bible blood was a sign in exodus 12 verse 13 it was a sign of the mercy of god for the first pesach or the first passover god didn't say when i see your good works or that you're trying or when you're reading from your Siddur jewish prayer book or when you're doing all these things and praying at the western wall when i see that happening then i will pass over you in judgment no god said in exodus Chapter 12. Now Sephr Shimot, Vepatrikmisrei, Exodus 12:13. 12, God says, "When I see the blood on the doorpost of your house, I will pass over that house in judgment." Exodus 12:13. God sealed His covenant with Israel with blood, in Exodus 24, verse eight. Blood sanctified the altar. We see in Exodus 29, verse 12, blood set aside the priests as well. In Exodus 29, 20, blood made an atonement for God's people. Exodus 30, verse 10, and blood also sealed the new covenant in the New Testament. Matthew 26, 28, blood justifies us. It says in Romans 5 and verse 9. Blood brings redemption, Ephesians 1.7 says in the New Testament. Blood brings peace with God, in Colossians 1.20 it says. Blood cleanses us, it says in Hebrews 9.14 and 1 John 1.7. And blood gives entrance into God's holy place, the holiest of holies in the kingdom of heaven. Blood enables us to overcome Satan. Finally, it says on the last book of the Bible, in Revelation twelve eleven. remember it says, And they overcome the enemy by the word of their testimony and the blood of the Lamb, the Lamb of God, Jesus the Messiah. When God sees the blood of His Son covering your sins, you are forgiven, you are righteous and perfectly cleansed, and God will then allow you into His perfect and righteous and holy Kingdom of heaven you're not going to get in there any other way Just remember that it's all about the blood so God is telling Noah You don't realize how blood how important the blood is The blood is important to God and so he says stay away from the blood Don't you eat the blood along with the flesh and then he says in verse 5 continuing on with that surely for your lifeblood. I will demand a reckoning From the hand of every beast I will require it, and from the hand of man. From the hand of every man's brother I will require the life of man. Whoever sheds blood, man's blood, he says in verse 6, whoever sheds man's blood, by man his blood shall be shed. For in the image of God he made man. And as for you, he says to Noah in verse 7, be fruitful and multiply. Bring forth abundantly in the earth and multiply in it. Now, as we said back in the study of Adam and Eve, when he told them to be fruitful and multiply, he also made it to where they were capable of being very fruitful and multiplying because they had to replenish the earth quickly and fill the earth. And he's saying the same thing to Noah. Now, here's Noah, this old guy and his sons. Well, they're not real young either at that point. Think about it. Noah's getting on to be 950 years of age, and sons are probably not too far back behind him, and yet God is going to make them fruitful and able to replenish the earth with their sons and daughters. Amazing what God can do. He does the impossible, for there shall be nothing that is impossible with God. All things are possible with Him. But now he's saying in verse 5, through these verses that we read and all the way through verse 7, He's saying that, listen, you stay away from the blood like I told you earlier in the verses in this chapter, the blood is important to God and it's important throughout the word of God. But he says, and every man that brings forth the blood of another, every man that brings forth the blood of another, it will be required from him. But then he says something kind of interesting, I think. It says in verse 5, surely for your lifeblood I will demand a reckoning. In other words, there's accountability. If there's lifeblood that is shed, God's going to require accountability. From the hand of every beast he will require it. Man is so precious to him that he's even going to require it when a beast attacks man and tries to kill him. And then he says at the end of verse, or at the end of that first sentence in verse 5, and from the hand of every man surely for your lifeblood i will demand a reckoning from the hand of every beast i will require it and from the hand of man And what does that mean when he says from the hand of man you're going to require accountability of someone that sheds blood of another from the hand of every man from the hand of a man that means that god is sanctioning government on earth as his authority to execute punishment and judgment on evil people. That when someone kills another person, the governments of man will require that person to be accountable and will judge that person and justice will be served. That's why he says it right there in verse five of chapter nine, that God will require it even from the hand of man. That's the first time God isn't really speaking in terms of a government, it seems like to me that he's referring to a government that will execute his justice upon people. And Psalm, I'm sorry, in Romans twelve and thirteen talks about that concept as well. And you see the story of Nebuchadnezzar in in the book of Daniel, Hasefer Daniel, Hanavi in Daniel the prophet. You see, Nebuchadnezzar realizing that the Most High rules in the affairs of man and puts on the thrones of governments those whom he desires. It's God. Even Jesus told Pontius Pilate, he said, you would have no power at all unless it had been given to you from on high. You see, Jesus knew that, of course. And it's what God does. is He assigns the government and the justice Hopefully it's good justice, you see, and not evil, political, unrighteous judgment of government, which and there's many unrighteous governments. But the plan of God was to have a government of man, making sure that man was held accountable for being evil and breaking the laws. And so he's saying now, someone sheds the blood of man, there's going to be an accounting. There's going to be a reckoning. From the hand of every beast I will require it and from the hand of man. Man will be a part of that governing and establishing of a justice system to punish those who shed the blood of man. And today, all of our laws have that in them. Whoever sheds man's blood, he said in verse 6, by man his blood shall be shed. See, it's the same thing. Whoever sheds man's blood, by man his blood will be shed. For in the image of God, God made man. And then he goes on down and he talks about this concept about, again, the blood and how important it is. And the establishment of man as a government. But then in verse 8, he switches gears a little bit. He says, then God spoke to Noah and to his sons with him saying, And as for me, behold, I establish my covenant with you and with your descendants after you. Now, who would Noah's Noah's descendants be after him? Everyone who lived. Because it was just Noah, his wife, and his three sons and their wives that were in the ark. There were no other humans there, you see. And so God is saying, I will establish my covenant with you, in verse 9, and with your descendants after you. But then he also includes, in verse 10, he says, and with every living creature that is with you. The birds, the cattle every beast of the earth with you, of all that go out of the ark, every beast of the earth, thus I establish my covenant with you. Never again shall all flesh be cut off by the waters of the flood. Never again shall there be a flood to destroy the earth. God is saying to Noah, Noah, you don't have to worry about this happening again. I know you're very afraid. I know you're very apprehensive. I know you're nervous about this. You've seen everything that you know destroyed. All the people that you knew before destroyed because they did not acknowledge God. And they were becoming so violent. They were killing each other all over the earth. And it was horrible. Everyone was living in fear. Everyone probably wished they would die instead of having that kind of stress and fear every day of their life looking out for their very lives because the violence of man it says in the Bible in uh, Genesis 6 had covered the earth, corrupted the entire earth. And God had to wipe it all out and now Noah's seen that. God knows that Noah has got a lot of questions. God knows that Noah is trying hard to reconcile what he's seen with God whom speaks to him. God speaks to him But Noah is finding out about the heart of God, and he's seeing now that God will not put up with that sin like that. He will not tolerate that sin like that, but that he will judge sin. And there's a lesson for you and I. If you do not know the Lord, there's only a limit that he will go to before your time is up. You don't know when that day is. It's different for every person. Some people might live to 120. (laughs) Okay, until 120, that's what we say on the birthdays in Hebrew, Bevri, Beisrael. Okay, but there's people that live very old, but then there's other people that die at 30 years of age, 40 years of age, 50, 55. You never know when your time might be up. We all, sinners. The Bible is very clear about in the Torah, in the Tanakh, in the Old Testament as we would call the Tanakh in English. It's all throughout there and in the New Testament as well, which basically uh, just uh, establishes and confirms the Old Testament as well and adds the Messiah to that. Basically, it all says that throughout God's Word that we are sinners. All have sinned. We've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. You need a Savior. That's what I'm saying. You may think that you haven't sinned a lot or you haven't done the horrible sins that other people that you've seen have sinned. That person who killed several people on television, that person who sent those rockets and killed all those people in that school, you're not as bad as them. Well, you know what? You may not be as bad as them, but that's not how God measures it. God measures it as, do you have sin or not? Because if you have sin, you cannot, you cannot, you cannot be allowed in the kingdom of heaven. It's a righteous and holy place, the kingdom of the great king, the throne of the righteous and pure and holy creator of the universe. With your sin, you cannot be allowed, no matter how much you have. But when you believe on his atoning sacrifice, then of course you recognize this in Pesach, the Passover lamb was sacrificed, and on Yom Kippur, every year it was sacrificed for the sins of the people. And he said, uh, in the book of Leviticus, in the Torah, that without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin, you see. The blood is given you for atonement for your sins on the altar. Without the shedding of blood, your sins are still with you. The temple is destroyed. It was destroyed in 70 AD. And yet the Bible still stands, without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of your sins. And the temple sacrifices are where the blood was shed for the blemish-free lambs and the, and the sin offerings. Without the temple, how do you get those sacrifices? Without the sacrifices, how do you get the blood that forgives your sin? You are lost in your sin, and your sins are not covered unless you believe on the atoning sacrifice, the true Lamb of God, Yeshua HaMashiach, Jesus the Messiah. When you believe on Him, just like it says in Pesach, in the book of Exodus in chapter 12 just like it says in Passover God says when I see the blood I will pass over your sins in judgment when I see the blood if you don't have that blood sacrifice and you don't anymore because the temple no longer stands when God, God had required those sacrifices to be made in the temple so what are you doing for your sins my brother and sister Yehudim, my Jewish brothers and sisters, what are you doing for your sin? Oh, well, I don't like to think about that. Oh, well, the rabbis know what I need to do. No, it's up to you. It's between you and God. It's not between you and a rabbi. It's between you and God. And by the way, the rabbis have their own accounting with God. And it's between them and God. What are they doing for their sins? Without the shedding of blood, there is no remission. There is no forgiveness of sins, you see. And God is saying how important that blood is. And now he's saying to Noah, look, you don't have to worry. I know you've seen a lot of things that make you afraid and a lot of things that stress you out and make you have anxious thoughts and anxieties. But I'm establishing a covenant with you, Noah, and with your descendants after you. And with every living creature that is with you, the birds, the cattle, every beast of the earth, and you and all that go out of the ark, every beast of the earth, I will establish my covenant with you. And here is that covenant verse 11. Never again shall all flesh be cut off or killed by the waters of the flood. When you see the word cut off, In the scriptures, in the Tanakh, the Torah, it means kill, that die. Never again shall all flesh be killed by the waters of the flood. Never again shall there be a, a flood to destroy the earth. And so Noah is receiving the word of God, and God is saying this concept of a covenant. He's saying, Noah, remember I told you there was going to be a flood? Remember I told you to build the ark? And then what happened after you built the ark and I took you in the ark? What happened, Noah? The flood came, just like I told you it would come. You know that I keep my word. You know that when I say something, I'm going to do it. So, Noah, I'm telling you this covenant that I'm giving with you now. From now on, I will never, ever destroy all living things with a flood of water on the earth again. Never again will there be a flood to destroy the earth. And that was going to soothe Noah's mind for a long time. Now Jesus says, of course, in Matthew 24 and verse 37, and absolutely uh, also in Peter, 2 Peter 3, verse 1 through 7, that there's going to be times that are similar to the days of Noah. What do I mean by that? Well, there's going to be days when people are evil again when people are violent again. There's going to be times when there's wars, rumors of wars. There's going to be times when children are killing their parents and parents are killing their children. And millions and millions of parents will kill their unborn children even in minutes before they're to be born. That's horrible wickedness, horrible evil. But if you've ever been through that, I want you to know something. God will forgive that too. He forgives all manner of sin. But that's a horrible thing that's happening in the world today. And just because millions of people do it, don't lose track of the fact that tens and tens of millions of babies have died in the United States alone. Worldwide, who knows, hundreds of millions perhaps, from abortion, taking of a small life with a beating heart, with a mind, with ears that can hear outside its mother's womb and be able to recognize its mother's voice. And then someone comes in and kills that child. I love what Mother Teresa once said, and I'm not a Catholic, you know that, but one time she was talking to people and they brought up the subject of abortion and actually she was right in front of President Bill Clinton and Hillary Clinton at that time, speaking at a large gathering. And she finally said, after people brought up abortion as to whether it was good or not, she said, of course it's not. And she says, but give me your children. I will raise them. Don't kill them. And everybody in the room, except for the Clintons, stood up and applauded her and gave her a standing ovation. Evil has become good. And if you try to be good in this earth, then the world considers you to be evil. But God will destroy the earth the next time, not by water, not by a flood, but the next time by fire is what he says in 2 Peter 3, one in Jesus in Matthew 24, verse 37, As in the days of Noah, so shall it be before the coming in the coming of the Son of Man. All this wickedness, all this violence, all this sin, people saying good is bad, people saying bad is good, Everything's turned upside down on its head. That's the world you live in, brother and sister. You let that light shine. This is not the time to hide that light. You let the light of Christ shine in your heart. There's a dying, hopeless world out there that needs to see God's light in you. Don't hide that light away. Be bold in your proclamation of Jesus as the Messiah. Be bold in your proclamation that you belong to Him. They can take all things away from you on this earth. They can take your physical life away from you. But you have everlasting life. They cannot destroy you. They cannot take your peace. In the end, you win. And like we said before, the real you is those thoughts. It's that person. It's you inside. The thing that you think of is you. This is me. I'm thinking. I'm, I'm considering this. I have this intent in my heart. I'm, I'm thinking about saying this. That's the spirit of you. Jesus said, out of the abundance of the heart, the man speaks. That's the inside of you. It's not this body. Come on, this body's just a container. It's just a vehicle. And one day you're going to be free from this. And you will be the real you set free into eternity as eternal spirit. Because you are not only flesh, but you are spirit, and the spirit is eternal. And all who believe on the Son of God have everlasting life. Now then God says to Noah about this covenant that he's making with him and every creature with him. He says, I'm going to have a sign that I'm going to set. I set my rainbow in the cloud, and it shall be for a sign of the covenant between me and the earth. It shall be, he says in verse 14, when I bring a cloud over the earth, then the rainbow will be seen in the cloud. And I'll remember my covenant which I made with you and every living creature of all flesh. The water shall never become a flood to destroy all flesh. I'll remember that, God says. Verse 16, he continues, the rainbow shall be in the cloud. And and I will look on it to remember the everlasting covenant between God and every living creature of all flesh that is on the earth. And God said to Noah, this is the sign of the covenant which I've established between me and all flesh that is on the earth." Now this is a sign that God is giving to Noah to tell Noah whenever it looks like it's gonna rain again don't worry you'll see my rainbow in the cloud and this is my sign to you that I'm remembering My covenant with you, when I promised you, I would not destroy the earth with water again. So Noah's mind, Noah's fears would be eased. And now he's seeing these things. Now, you think about this. With a shell of ice vapor around the earth like existed before the great deluge, the great flood, there would not have been a rainbow. In fact, they really don't know if they even had seen rain before. We knew that in the Garden of Eden, a mist used to come up from the earth and water the ground, and that's how things grew. And in that kind of a greenhouse-type environment, that's how it could have worked. You know, a greenhouse is just, it's got transparent-type things that covers over it that let the sunlight through just enough for things to grow, but then protect everything from the harmful elements of the weather outside that transparent covering. That vapor shell around the Earth, frozen ice, would have done the same thing. There would have been light from the sun that could get through, but the harmful radiation and wavelengths of the spectrum, the electromagnetic spectrum, the visible and invisible, the UV, infrared, all these components of light in different wavelengths The harmful wavelengths would not have been able to get through. They would have bounced off of that and been deflected into space. And so there wouldn't have been the radiation necessary and the water necessary in the clouds and cloud vapor. We don't even know if there were clouds. But there wouldn't have been the moisture vapor in those clouds to have produced what we call a diffraction grating in science, where the individual Uh, components of white light are split up into red, green, blue, violet, purple, all these different shades and everything of a rainbow. That's what we call in science a diffraction grating. When certain wavelengths of light are longer than others and they don't end up at the same exact place, they end up a little above or a little below the next wavelength down. So you have orange here and you have red slightly above it and then as you get further away from the red, you end up with pur- uh, blue, and then purple, and then ultraviolet. And all of these things come out of regular white light. And if you don't think that's true, you get yourself a prism. Order it from, from uh, Amazon.com, order a tiny little prism, and you hold some white light up to it, and you'll see all the spectrum of the various colors of the rainbow produced, because white light is a combination of all the colors. Black light is basically different, but the white light can be split into the various colors of the rainbow, and that's how it works. Well, when the moisture vapor is in the clouds, it acts as a really big prism, splits those light wavelengths up, and then you see them reflecting off of the clouds and in the moisture particles in the clouds and in the air, and that's what you and I call a rainbow. So we don't know if that existed before the flood. It probably did not. So Noah really hadn't seen anything like that before. And here's God saying, this is going to be my sign for you, to let you know I'm not going to destroy the earth again by water, so don't worry about it. Just get on with life. Now verse 18, he says, Now the sons of Noah who went out from the ark were Shem, Ham, and Japheth. And Ham was the father of Canaan. These three were the sons of Noah, and from these all of the earth was populated. Now, those three sons, Shem, Ham, and Jatham, are going to have an amazing impact on civilization, as you can imagine. They're the three that the whole civilization of mankind is going to derive from. But the way that their names are, And the blessing that Noah gave them, and one of them he gave a curse to. You're going to see next week when we finish up this chapter. But right now we're going to end up with verses 18 and 19. And we'll start these very two verses next week too. But next week is extremely important. Because from there, we talk about all the different nations that came from these three men. Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Every nation on earth. Every civilization on earth and the people that came from them and the names of the people that came from them that will be listed in not only in this chapter at the end, but also throughout chapter 10, we call that the table of the nations. Those names you're going to need. Without those names, you cannot decipher the adversaries of Israel who are going to come against Israel in the prophecies about Israel, later on in the books of Ezekiel and all these other places, when these various nations come against Israel, they are identified by the names given in chapter 10 of the book of Genesis. And why is that important? Because chapter 10 not only tells us about those names of the children and grandchildren of Shem, Ham, and Japheth, but it also tells us where they settled, you see. So we can look at the map today, find that place where where they settled, and when the Bible in the book of Ezekiel and other places in the Old Testament speaks of prophecies about these countries trying to invade Israel, we will know from chapter 10 in the book of Genesis, ah, that name person there in that prophecy in Ezekiel, that name came from this area of the map. And you will know what country is there today, so you'll be able to see what countries, even today, are going to come against Israel. Don't you miss it. Next week's going to be quite the study in prophecy. We're going to do that, and we're going to go through that, it's going to be amazing. Don't you miss it. you got other people who are interested in prophecy, you get them, you bring them. They're going to be amazed at what we're going to learn next week in the Table of the Nations, and finishing up chapter 9 as well. Now, the other thing, though, I want to show you real quickly is one thing. Down at the very ending verse of this, it says that Noah lived these years, and altogether his years were 950 years. This is just a little point of trivia. We'll cover it next week in more detail. But you've heard of Methuselah, Metushelach in Hebrew, Bevery. Metushelach. his death shall bring. Remember, we said in Genesis 5, His death shall bring, Um, and and then it said the despairing rest. And Noah means rest or comfort. But anyway, Methuselah, Methuselah, Methuselah is the oldest man documented in the Bible who lived 969 years. And people see that and they go, oh, he's the famous Methuselah. He lived 969 years. Wow. But Noah is a real, real close Second place there. You're going to find out through the end of this chapter, Noah lived 950 years. Only 19 years less than Methuselah lived. Amazing little trivia, the fact there. And we'll cover that again next week. But for right now, we want to leave it there. And Here's what I'm saying, though. You look at Noah's life, and you see that God used this normal person. He's just one person. And yet God used him to start everything all over again. And if you give your life to the Lord, he can do things with you that you never imagined. Are you willing to walk with God like Noah did? Are you willing to give God your life completely? Completely? To him? Give it to him? You see that Noah made some mistakes too. We're going to see that in the ending of chapter 9 next week. He wasn't a perfect person, but that's okay because God can use the, per- the people who aren't perfect. In fact, none of us are perfect, amen? Everyone who's perfect, raise your hand. Now the rest of you look around and see what that dummy over there is raising his hand for because you know him, you've seen him make mistakes, you've seen her do incredible things wrong and everything. Why are they raising their hand? This is the time to pay attention. I said everyone who's perfect, raise your hand. Some people just say, oh, here, raise your hand, blah, 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 raise your hand, and they shoot their hand up. I go, oh, really, you're perfect. No, listen up, be careful. But God can use people who aren't perfect. Just admit your mistakes and rely on his Messiah, Yeshua Hamashiach, Jesus the Messiah, and let your perfection and righteousness stand in him, not in your own futile works. If you give your life to him, God will do wonderful and amazing things with you. It's not about your righteousness. You know that. We've talked about that. It's not about your strength. It's about His righteousness, and it's in His power. Not by might, not by power, but by His Holy Spirit, says the Lord in the Tanakh. Give your life to Him, and watch what God will do with it. Why don't you give your life to God today, right now? You know, if you call on Him, He'll hear that cry. He'll answer you, He'll rescue you from that darkness, and He'll shine His light on your heart, and you'll be given newness of life. It's just that simple. He'll change you into a new person. New. I don't mean put some new clothes on you, I mean make the inside new and everything. You'll feel new, you'll know that you're new, everyone will look at you and go, what happened to that old person that had all that baggage and all those problems, did all those crazy things? They'll look at you and go, you are a new person. That's because God's promise is true. He'll change you into a new person. He'll throw all that bad history away. You'll be made completely new, given a new start. And He'll give you everlasting life in heaven. That's His guarantee by God Himself. We want to give you an opportunity to believe in Jesus as the Messiah and Lord today. To receive God's peace in your life. You can be saved. You can be given everlasting life in heaven by simply believing that God sent His one and only Son into the world to save us from judgment. You can just pray something like this. Just repeat after me if you'd like. Just pray, God, I do want to know you and have real peace in life. I believe on your Son, Jesus, the Messiah, as Lord. Please forgive all my sins. I give my life to you. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Now, if you prayed that prayer, God heard you. And He's already started working in your life. A little seed's been planted deep down in your heart. You don't even know that He did that. But over time, just like little seeds grow below the ground, you can't see them for a while until they break through the ground. Over time, you'll begin to see the wonderful changes that God is making in your life, in your heart. Get in a good Bible-based church. Learn about God in His Word by reading it every day. You talk to Him every day in prayer. He's going to do amazing things in your life.